Seasons greetings, everybody. Welcome back to Discuss the Expanse. This is week we're going to be talking about episode three. Um, as, as always, I'm joined by, I'm honored to be joined by my co-host Danny here on Christmas Eve. How you doing today, man? Doing great, doing great. Merry Christmas Eve. Absolutely, man. Well, we're going to go ahead and jump into the episode here. Before we do, Danny, can you tell us who the what the title, the writer and director for episode three is? For sure, for sure. So episode 603 of The Expanse is titled Force Projection. It was written by Dan Nowak and directed by Jeff Woolnuff. Amazing, guys. As always, uh, overview for the podcast is we're going to start with our general overview or our, our general thoughts on the episode and where we rank it with our other episodes here. Then we're going to jump into a scene-by-scene -scene breakdown where we go a little more in-depth on our thoughts on the episode and then follow that with our predictions and hot takes and crazy takes that we think are going to happen as the season progresses here. Um, with that all being said, Danny, what were your initial thoughts of episode three force projection and where would you rank it with the other episodes in the season? You know, I feel like uh, I'm, I'm going to start beating the dead horse where I feel like every episode gets better. But this was absolutely my favorite episode. Uh, lots of cool stuff happened. Uh, some good character moments, some good, um, I think, uh, reactions uh, to experiences as well as understanding some of the the way that they interacted with uh with the war that they're that they're uh in the middle of right now so i really enjoyed a lot of that um and and seeing characters kind of push themselves forward and i'm i'm excited to talk about this one what about you yeah i think i think this it, it's really weird it's hard to separate these episodes because they all feel so consistently strong it's hard to like separate them and rank them together but i think i'd probably put um episode three maybe maybe second i think i put two ahead uh to ahead of that one slightly but not by much i mean every, it all feels very consistent it feels like almost like like so far the uh season feels like a movie that they just split in sections you know it doesn't feel they don't feel very different from each other which is a testament i think to the show running too that they have these different writers and directors and everything feels so consistent and coherent um together there but uh yeah i really enjoyed the episode uh like you said it, it had a lot of stuff a lot of a lot of great moments happening in here um i think what i've been most impressed with considering that they've had this shortened season and had to pack so much into these seasons with these really big budget set pieces and everything is uh their consistent uh, dedication to the quieter moments and i think i really love how they're balancing that still and they're still uh, prioritizing that uh, these kind of quieter moments between the characters and a lot of a lot of kind of character development stuff. Um, so I've been really impressed that they've they've kind of stayed true to that. Um, but with uh, without further ado, we're going to go ahead and jump into our scene by scene recap for season six, episode three, Force Projection. So the show opens. We are back again uh, as a pattern in the show. We're back on Laconia. It kind of shows the external structure of Laconia, and then we dial down into a classroom where we see Kara, Kara, I believe, uh, is is being taught in a classroom, uh, and she leaves the classroom and decides to go run away to her lake where her her I guess birds are nesting and stuff to see how they're doing. And uh, there's a quick scene with her and her brother where she kind of rebuffs her brother and tells him to leave her alone, and then runs off to the lake to see the birds there. Um, and then finds out I'm a, uh, what I was trying to, and I, and I kind of wanted to get you get your thoughts on this this scene as well. But I believe the birds were healed somehow. They all they were all of a sudden healed, and um, her drone was also fixed as well. Um, and she sees that dog, the strange dog, 
um, nearby and concludes that they must have kind of done this and, and been integral in that happening before running home um, to find kind of her. I, I don't know if they're grieving or just concerned parents um, when she gets into her house. And it looks like her brother is in he, he is in dire straits, what it seems like, because he's laying on the bed and he's got blood all over his face. And then it ends that scene. What were your thoughts of that intro scene? And what was kind of your interpretation on maybe what was happening with that whole like healing of tech and um and 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 the local fauna, I guess. I did not expect that scene to go that direction at all. Having no knowledge of the strange dogs novella, uh, I I was just kind of watching it and experiencing it. And when she saw the the drone fix, I was like, Oh, that's that's interesting. Like her drone works again, and you know you can see that uh, the fourth little propeller uh, was was the one that looks different. And so I was like, okay, so maybe uh, something's interacted with it. And as it led to the strange dog being the the seeming uh, progenitor of how that occurred, uh, I was like, well, how can this happen? Like like did this dog do this by ingesting it? Did it take it to a place where things are healed? Um, it's It kind of looks almost like a biological android, almost, the, mm -hmm. the, the bird. And so using that kind of logic line, when she goes in and she sees her brother in dire straits, my first thought was, oh, she's going to take her brother to the dogs. Mm -hmm. And, and we're going we're gonna to see that kind of play out. And so uh, it feels like, that is the the route that it, it's going and it's it was a cool scene because it's again bringing us into whatever this laconian um uh culture is and and how they learn and how it's like it doesn't matter where we came from when we came we're all laconians now and they're they're embracing this place this planet that they're on in the ring gate so i really enjoyed it i i, I again i don't know what this is leading us up to from a overall expanse storyline but i'm enjoying this little kind of short film playing out over the episodes at the beginning uh, but this was definitely the most curious one and the most uh that brought me back to like season one season two protomolecule type stuff when they're in the uh, some quick notes that I wanted to say on the scene was when they're in the schoolroom, uh, I, I I noted down that the the teacher had a very like youth pastor energy to him, um, but also, <laughs> uh, yeah, he does say that you know they're all from different places. Some came from the I think he said the L nine um, voyage or something, and then also he you know some came from Mars expeditions as well. They all came from different places and uh they're they're united as laconians now and then also a, a point that i that i i heard was that he said they're asking if anything has seemed different in the last few weeks and that kind of was odd to me that he brought that up or, or just seemed kind of interesting because uh if he's asking school children like in different classes if they've seen anything weird occurring in the last few weeks it means that whatever they're doing up in the sky um, they're expecting a grand scale impact on maybe the ecology or something on the ground floor. So this seems like a very big thing that's happening. If if uh, if they're going around asking any teachers in any classrooms to ask their students if they've seen weird stuff, it's uh, it doesn't inspire confidence for me. If I heard that, I'd be like, wait, you guys don't know what's going on. You need us to report back to you what might be happening on the on the ground floor here. So it seems like whatever is going on is going to have some kind of grand impact on the ecology or something uh, that that the day to day people would see on the ground level, um, which I found interesting. And then, yeah, she goes to the Laconia Lake, the broken drone is fixed and the 
Um, I, I think the 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 dead uh, bird alien. Uh, again, I haven't come up with a better term for that. <laughs> the dead bird alien yeah. has has seemed to be revived. I think you made a great point where you said it seemed like a biological android because I noticed that too. It seemed like the uh, CGI has been really strong. I, I did want to make that point so far. Like the dogs and everything, they all look great. But when the bird comes out, it almost has a stop motion equality to it. And I wonder if that was intentional and that might be like uh, hinting at some kind of merge between biological and synthetic, um, which is how maybe it was... Uh, revived because it seems like this with the drone being fixed maybe these dogs have some kind of ability to access both of those things the scene goes quickly net uh, after that to the un ship seems to be heading towards series so after the fallout from last episode and after them being able to stop those rocks being hurled at earth it seems like the un has deployed its fleet and is heading towards series to engage marco um in, in kind of a show of force uh when they get there they don't see anything on the scanners they start approaching series and um as they go in they don't find any any heat signatures it seems like everything in this in the station has been stripped down all the resources have been taken from series and they find the populace of series all kind of huddled together in one kind of terminal of series they find nico there so she takes nico in for questioning and asks where marco is and what's happening and realizes that Marco has left them with this big burden of having to provide aid to Ceres and uh and kind of kind of left them holding the bag on this one. And uh what were your thoughts of this scene from when they first approached Ceres to finding out what Marco's done and kind of his plan to to uh hamstring them with with a a relief effort and uh and what did you think of the scene between uh Nico and Christian as well? something that was really interesting was they go in and you've got like, you've got like the UNN people going in, like it's SEAL Team 6, right? Uh, and and you're expecting, oh, we're going to have a firefight. And you see all of these people and they're just huddled. There's, there's no uh, insurgents or anything like that. And my thought was, okay, so why would, why would Marco abandon series as I'm watching the episode? he was just talking about how important it was and how this was going to be the the center of of their efforts and as the scene plays out and we learn a little bit more about how he has handicapped them and stripped all their resources i was like oh he's forcing christian who is a person who is trying to unite everyone to help them out which Earth is already in trouble. So that's going to uh, make those restraints. You've got people's prejudices coming into play. So while I think it was a smart move, so to speak, uh, by trying to spread thin resources even thinner, uh, it goes to show you that a lot of what Marco does is pride. He, he doesn't care about sacrificing people. Uh, he'll, he'll believe something to be for the greater good, uh, but really it just kind of comes down to his ego and kind of what he's built up this fight to be. And so when, when Christian and Nico are talking um, and she talks about like, how could you be uh, working with someone who uh, killed Anderson Dawes? Uh, I really appreciate that she, she understands like, hey, what if you what if you help what if we were to work together um i, I kind of like that ideal uh but i'll be curious to see if after the whole implied um 
investigation, uh, that, that brutal investigation, how much information they get out of Nico. And if Nico truly wants to cooperate uh, for the good of series, or if this is going to be something that is just going to cause more problems between the belters and the inners. But I, I appreciated the scene. I, I thought it was it was a lot going on in there politically as well as war effort wise. Uh, but I liked it. Yeah, I think, think? Um, yeah, I think the point about Marco's pride necessarily uh, taking over, I think that's definitely true. I think it's a that's a priority for him. And that's kind of all he really cares about. But uh, just strategically, it, it seems to make sense to me, too, where it's like it seems like, uh, you know, you do that and you leave series. They, they made a, a kind of not obviously in retrospect, not a throwaway line, but they made a line in the episode one about maybe not being able to get supplies to series. And it seemed like they were kind of, yeah, we're not, we, you know, we don't have to worry about that. I think it was um, Rosenfeld that said something along those lines. And now in retrospect, their whole plan the whole time was that they were going to kind of abandon series and leave the UN in this situation of having to, um, having to deal with the humanitarian crisis when they're, when their resources are already stretched thin. So uh, it, it still kind of fits in for me as the um, uh, ends justify the means kind of thing where he's thinking if this if this if this is the reason that we turn around and beat the inners and finally like end this end this war with the inners then this would have been a um a justifiable sacrifice or something along those lines so i, I just putting my marco hat on that's what i'm thinking the the rationale is between that but it but i think i think that's all window dressing for his pride like you were saying so I think it's mostly his pride, but it does make strategic sense, and it totally makes a. It really puts the uh, the UN and and uh, Mars in a really tough spot, you know, now to to be able to first politically and publicly show that they're helping the belt to try to inspire that connection, but also just the logistics of having to actually provide that amount of aid um, in that situation. There, some quick uh, notes that I wanted to say on the scene was I really like the shot of them. The, the the two Mars power armor uh, people, I thought they were really cool. And then be flying from the ship uh, to just kind of hop into series. And they do they did that in one shot. I thought that was really, really awesome. We, we found out that Nico did work for Dawes. I think that was probably new information that uh, Nico worked directly under Anderson Dawes. Um, a quick note too, I love the, so they swipe up and you see Christian on a screen in front of Nico. And I liked the I like they didn't cheat the perspective. I think one of the things that I see a lot of that a lot of that time is they'll show a virtual screen like that. And then when you see the perspective of a person on the screen, they're looking directly at the person uh, when it wouldn't make sense that that virtual screen would have a camera on it. So I like that the camera was on the MCRN uh, person, like security person that was nearby and it showed from that angle. It's a really, really small point. But I just remember thinking that's that that was really well thought out because a lot of times they'll cheat that camera, even though it doesn't exist in the shot just to make it look good. Uh, the scene goes from then to we are on the Rossinante. It seems the Rossinante is heading to series and Holden is very tired. And he's leaving, and it seems like he's asking Clarissa Mal to take over controls for the Rossi, so it's great to see him kind of trusting her with those kind of important duties after. And we get a really great character moment between Clarissa and Holden, where she kind of confides in him maybe some of the guilt that she's experienced and, and some of the terrible things that she's done uh, really uh, in, in, a, in a revenge effort against Holden for uh, what he did to Jules Pierre Mao. Uh, in the first seasons and and uh, her her kind of her um, path of vengeance that she's been on and some of the terrible things she's done. And he 
seems to appreciate that she confided in him and then tells her that everyone on the crew of the Rossi has done things that they are not proud of and, and has done kind of immoral actions. And she's more, she's at home in this, in this situation and that they're not going to judge her for it. Um, uh, what did you think of the, the interaction between Clarissa and, and Holden um, and that he's kind of trusting her with the, with, with like really important crew duties now? Yeah, I think I think this was the beginning of uh, part of the reason why this was my favorite episode so far, which is there were a lot of really good quiet moments uh, between characters in this episode. And so seeing uh, James just kind of say, hey, you know what, like, I'm tired, I need to get some sleep you can just be there to watch the Rossi. Like she will do most of the work. We just need you in the pilot's chair, basically babysitting. And for him to trust someone who tried to kill him not that long ago to, to drive while he rests, uh, just kind of, kind of goes to show how the, the strides that they made in episode two, uh, when she went in there for Naomi, even, even if uh, she wasn't following procedure to do so, just kind of shows that he is like, okay, she was serious uh, about trying to be a little bit better. And so when she kind of confesses, you can tell that this is something that's been building up in her for a while. And, and she wanted to uh, get this off of her chest. And for her to carry around that guilt and, and that regret for some of the things that she did to that guy, Ren, who had supported her uh, on her path of vengeance. And then for Holden to recognize like, okay, uh, you're, you're of similar peoples. We have, we have similar spirits in that case. Just kind of goes to show you that they have, uh, th they have this opportunity to bond. And I think that's the really cool thing about uh, this time on the Rossi that they get to just interact as people instead of always having to fight, which the fight will come. Uh, but that was a really strong character scene for me. Uh, and, and I'm looking forward to seeing how her relationship with Naomi might improve potentially uh, just because it seems like she's hitting each different member of the Rasanante and kind of winning them over little by little. Uh, and, and I'm, I'm excited for it, but what'd you think? Uh, I thought it was great. I felt like she was, she seemed to be holding on to this for a long time and maybe wanting to release this. Like you said, get this off her chest for some time with Holden. So it really puts into perspective the six months where she was just kind of biting her tongue and talking to Amos in those situations and having to live with the crew when she maybe be, she maybe wanted to confide in them in these ways, but their relationship just wasn't there. Uh, it kind of puts that in perspective. I think a really interesting point in their conversation was that she says she's expressing guilt over this character, Ren. Um, that she 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 kind of killed indiscriminately and she's confiding and holding about it. But what I found interesting was that she thinks that the vomiting that happens when she she bites her mods is not from any kind of physical ailment or any kind of side effect of the mods. She thinks it may be from like moral abhorrence at the uh, at the kind of actions that she did against Ren at that time and maybe reminding her of the horrible things she did to an innocent to innocent people or an innocent person and that's what causes her to vomit when she she bites the mods um i don't necessarily believe that that's the case but the fact that she even thinks that that's a possibility says a lot about her character and how much it's really it really tore her up that she did that and and how much she regrets it um, but i thought that was an interesting touch that she thought of it that way she thought of maybe it was a moral abhorrence instead of physical the scene uh then goes to bobby and amos they're in the uh, in the the kind of kitchen area uh, and he's eating his slop, I guess. And this was, uh, you know, in, in reference to what you said about the quieter moments being highlighted, this was probably one of my favorites was this interaction between Amos and Bobby and then kind of 
uh, recanting, for better words, stories of the cants uh, when he was there and talking about those different, uh, you know, different things on series. And it really highlighted a lot of different things about each character that I found uh, I found really interesting. And uh, she again continues on. She again continues on the um, the pattern of kind of baby naming him or calling him like Pee Wee. Uh, I think she calls him Honey Buns in this one. Um, and they seem to be building up to that. It seems like they they might pay that off with some kind of uh, clash between the two, potentially, uh, which would be amazing to see. But um, yeah, they, they kind of talk about the, you know, really kind of world building stuff about series, about how there's like noodle shops and booze and brothels, uh, mostly on series and... Um, her kind of asking about the food and everything. Very, like you said, a very quiet moment, world building kind of conversation. Um, what did you think about their interaction and that conversation between Bobby and Amos in the uh, in the crew quarters? I love a no nonsense conversation uh, about nonsense. Uh, I think I think that kind of sums up their how they both are. Because Bobby is like kind of this straight shooter, and Amos is definitely a straight shooter. But they're from different sides. You know, you have uh, or you have Amos's whole. You know, I grew up in rough areas and and did that whole thing. So I'm really kind of unfeeling, generally speaking, and just very direct. And then you have Bobby, who's all about. I grew up on Mars. Mars was everything. I'm a soldier this is my no nonsense and so for them both to kind of be having that uh rapport back and forth uh, i loved hearing it it was just really funny to me it was a great scene i love like the inside baseball conversation about series she says um the other great line that i thought was she says is there anything on series other than um other than noodles booze and brothels and he said i never looked <laughs> so that really sums up uh amos's character as those are kind of the three things that he would only be concerned with on that station i thought that was a great line between the two um and yeah they they both both characters feel like two sides of the same coin where they are both no nonsense, both action over words, um, and they seem like they they'll you know eventually have this mutual respect, and because they do seem very similar as characters, but at the same time they're um, they're contrasted by like you said Bobby's soldier uh, attitude and Amos is more of kind of a loose gunslinger with a criminal background, but they they both have those traits they both have those same traits, but they come from very different backgrounds and very different um priorities i guess that they they hold true so it's going to be really interesting to see how their relationship develops as the show goes on um it moves from then to uh a scene between naomi and holden so holden is finally debriefing with her about her issue that we had uh that she had in the last episode that we we talked about and was one of the highlights of the episode for us was her hesitation when she was going to jump off the rossi in their last mission and her freezing up about it. And this is where she's really confiding in him about what occurred. And she just says like her body froze up and she's beating herself up about it. She's, she's kind of um, giving herself a hard time for she, she calls it extremely embarrassing. Um, and Holden tells her that, you know, would you be embarrassed if I went through what you went through? And she said, no, but you'd be beating yourself up too. Um, I thought it was a really good character interaction between the two. And it leads into Holden giving her this mission about finding out about that data. Um, so he gets data from Bobby in the previous episode regarding these MCRN ships that have been disappearing at the ring gates. And that's when we see that red, um, that red color kind of eating away the ships uh, that we saw towards the, the last scene in season five. And he's getting some information about these, these uh, disappearances, but there's a whole lot of data that they need to parse through. So he, 
in, enlists um, Naomi to parse through that data for him. And she says, you're just giving me a, uh, like a task that will distract me from my ineptitude or my failing that occurred. Uh, I'm going to get your thoughts about these last two scenes here, but it cuts to the Pella and we get uh, Marco on the Pella with Rosenfeld and they are kind of debriefing over leaving series. Um, Philip is seeing some propaganda maybe that is being put through to his phone. That's calling Marco a coward. It seems like the belt or at least series belters have kind of turned on him for uh, abandoning them, stripping the station and then having the UN come in. Obviously they would, I would, I would probably not be a fan of his either after that, that kind of move. Um, and he's, uh, Philip seems to be conflicted about this. He has a conversation with Marco, which I thought was a really great scene and kind of talks to him about the motivations behind the entire attack. Uh, what were your thoughts on those last two scenes with uh, Holden and Naomi and, and debriefing her about her, her issues? And then the scenes with uh, Philip and Marco talking about his decision to kind of leave series in the position that it's in. So when it comes to the uh, scene uh, with with Holden and Naomi, um, I liked it because one, she was just like, all right, like, let's just talk about it. I know you want to talk about it. Let's talk about how I froze up. Um, there's there's an ease there uh, between them after having been together for so long, after everything that uh, Naomi experienced, that whole experience, um, her just kind of responding about how she felt uh, was good, especially uh, when you just kind of see how she, she kind of still looks tired. She kind of still looks exhausted uh, after everything that she's been through. And so I really, I just really love to see those two interact. Uh, it's, it's romance done well, because they still recognize that they're crewmates as well as in this romance. Um, and so when, you know, the doors are closed behind closed doors, they're able to kind of speak freely, both on the romantic level as well as the crew level. Um, so that was strong. And then I really love this because this was our first inclination that we're going to get some of that Laconia payoff. Right. So we're, we're seeing some of that, like, hey, there's these ships that have gone missing. There was the barkeep um, and things are a little weird. Uh, can you can you try and make sense of it? Mm -hmm. And so that's our first inclination that, that, hey, there's something going on. We might see some ties to this. So I realized that. So overall, it was a, a nice little cute scene, but it also has some some repercussions that we're going to see. And I'm excited to find out how the Rocinante is going to play a role uh, in Laconia. Now, for the Philip and Marco Inaro scene, um, that was a great scene because if, so I, I really loved your response earlier where you're like, I, if I put on my Marco cap, I can see why he did that. Uh, and, and same, I, I could do that. But if I were a belter, just not part of all the action and I'm, I'm doing this, I would think that he was a coward. I would think that he's abandoned us and that he that we were played by this guy. So I would get pissed. And so when Philip is conf uh, confronting his dad about about what he's done, Marco of course has the answer. Uh, of course, Marco is like, we gave them with a problem, or we gave them a problem that is going to be so difficult for them to solve. And so especially when you consider how he knew about supply lines and all that, uh, he 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 was purposeful with it but it doesn't feel right to Philip all the way. And so I like that conflict in him, especially considering how Philip had been wrestling with his guilt and how he killed his friend. And now he's seeing his father and the people who believed in his father feeling like he's a coward and calling them out as cowards. Philip's a character who right now can still go either direction, whether he's going to completely rebel against his father or fall 
to his father's uh, fall for his father's charms like everybody else has. Um, but I like it because it also so sets up Rosenfeld for having some some beef as well uh, later on. So there's there's Marcos's uh, uh, operation. You're starting to see the cracks in there, uh, and it's I think it can lead to some really uh, exciting uh, fallout uh, later on in the season. Uh, but what do you think? Yeah, I loved um, so. I loved the with the Pella. Um, there was a there were a couple notes that came through. I really liked their interaction together. I thought both the performances in that scene were really well do, really well done. They both kind of brought it in that scene there. Um, he so Marco initially shows that he's not concerned. I think Rosenfeld's like, wait, they have more of an arsenal than we anticipated, and he seems kind of smiling in that in the face of that, which is very emblematic of him as a character. We've talked about in previous episodes about him having this this kind of overconfidence when it comes to kind of fighting and stuff as well so he does seem very uh almost giddy when he finds out these the, that they have more of an arsenal than than uh they were anticipating there um uh he tells uh philip why do you care what a dissident what dissidents believe and kind of adds to that air of th superiority that he's cultivated in that crew um since he's since he's become captain and kind of in their resistance as a whole they feel uh and, and this kind of alludes to my next point which is they feel kind of like they're they're pure belters they're uh they're they're more worthy of respect and 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 they're on a kind of higher plane than most belters he talked about series belters like they weren't real belters they kind of capitulated to the un and and they, you know, living on that rock, it was it was kind of in them to be weak and be subservient to authoritarian rule, you know. Uh, and they, it, it kind of adds to that kind of purity test of that Belter purity test that Marco um, seems to have um, have kind of mentally about his status as a Belter and everything, and that they're kind of bred for this fighting and to be out in space and stuff. But he he kind of looks down upon series belters, which really adds to I've talked about in previous episodes about one of the strengths of the show is that no one group of people is monolithic. They all have different variations within them. So having this uh, pull between in, in the belters between like real belters and series belters and, you know, people that are maybe bred for space and people that are, are bred to like live on a rock and all that kind of stuff and having those different factions within that community uh really makes it feel more rich and and layered um he says that he told people what they needed to hear when they needed to hear it and he seems to be alluding that philip needs to have a more ruthless attitude when it comes to this uh, if he wants to be a leader like his father uh another note that i put was towards the end uh he was using we a lot he was almost talking about him and philip like they were the same person and that kind of alludes to something we said in the previous episode which is that he kind of just sees philip as like a clone of himself or a mini version of himself that he wants to take over for him after he goes um not really respecting philip as his own agent or his own person with his own decisions he just kind of sees him as a a small um a smaller uh kind of stand-in for him you know that 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 could happen there so I did really like that scene. Uh, it cuts to the Tynan and the Inazami. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. But they are the two ships that are traveling together. Um, one is with the Golden Bow, Liang Walker. Um, his ship and hers traveling together. And it seems like they're they're kind of coming up with their plan on what they're going to do. She's asking him about the supply caches. Um, and they're trying to recruit some Golden Bow ships. Um, as, they're, as they're talking, we see Michio... And Michio is watching some news 
So I immediately thought this was the project that Monica was working on for Abyssarala when she was she was looking at it there. And it seems like Michio might be one of those belters on the fringes that Christian was talking about that might be turning over and, and kind of empathizing a little more with the plight of the inners and, and what's been happening on Earth uh, these past six months. And um, there was a great conflict between Michio and I want to see Joseph. Uh, Michio and Joseph have a kind of argument about He's like, oh, poor inners, you can't get access to food and water. And they have kind of an argument between the two um, before the um, they get a tight beam comm from a local ship to Kamina. They say that we we used to be for Golden Bow and now we fight for you. And she says, good, because I'm ready to fight. Uh, what were your thoughts on the scene between uh, the Golden Bow uh, ship kind of being recruited by Drummer and that she seems to be kind of building out her forces and her fleet to maybe take one of these supply caches? And then also the conflict between Michio and Joseph and kind of how that ethical conflict uh, kind of bubbles up and what it maybe means for the show going forward. With Drummer, uh, I appreciate her action. Uh, she's being smarter this season. Um, she's not letting Marco's uh, abilities in war uh, catch her uh, off guard. She, she's planning smart things as she's speak, speaking with Liang Walker uh, and discussing the merits of oh, this is how we could do this. This is trying to understand what Marcos's plan is so then they can help cut it off in, in her own way. We're seeing her her leadership qualities come forward again. Uh, and I think that's an exciting place for Drummer to be in because that's where she's been very effective. She's never really effective when she takes that back seat. Uh, but once she finally makes that decision, like she's going to get engaged, you can't stop Drummer. Drummer is just going to do her thing. Um, so I really like that. I'm excited to see if she can take one of those food stations and if so is she going to use that to help benefit uh people from the belt or is she just going to use it as a way to fight marco um so i'm, I'm curious to see what direction she's going to go with that especially considering she's working with a pirate uh and so i'm, I'm excited to see that uh but the the ethical conversation between Joseph and Michio, I really loved, especially because we saw the pastor from season three of The Expanse, Anna. Um, and and I, I also thought, I was like, oh, this has to be Monica and Avasarala's little propaganda thing because Christian really did understand that there are probably people out there like Michio who can see that there's, that despite where we come from, we're all people. Um, and, and you could tell, because she was like, um, no one should have to live how we lived. And that is the difference. There are some people who want to make others suffer like they have suffered. And then there are people who recognize that suffering just shouldn't happen. Mm -hmm. And so some of that rage that Joseph has for how the inners treated them and how they grew up versus Michio, who has a little bit more of a perspective of, hey, what if we just tried to be better? Uh, I, I, I like that. And it's kind of like an angel devil on the shoulder of, of drummer, which is why I liked when Liang was like, I see why you wanted to leave her. Uh, Cause it shows where he stands. And so you have uh, Michio as this one dissident voice uh, of, of what belters could be and, and what they could do for people and, and how they could interact. And that's exciting to me because at first I was like, well, she froze up. She couldn't press the button, all that. But now kind of seeing where she stands, I'm like, Drummer might need her around because mm -hmm. what is to stop Drummer from just 
enacting kind of a Marcos sort of mentality uh, because she she has that potential, right? Uh, to, to just be only about the belt, uh, especially considering some of her actions from previous seasons. But Michio might be showing her that there, there could be potentially a different way. Uh, and I like that. Yeah, I think uh, I loved your characterization of them being uh, like an angel and devil on Kamina's shoulders, Joseph on one side and Michio on the other. That seems to be kind of where they're where they're heading there um, with Michio having more empathy and seeing more of the humanity in a situation and Joseph seeing more like tit for tat. You know, this happened to us. It should happen to them. Um, it seems like justice as opposed to uh, as opposed to kind of trying to make everyone's life better, which kind of Michio is fighting for. And then, yeah, the, the scene from Liang and Liang saying, I can see why you wanted to get rid of her immediately, like you said, shows where he stands there. And I can really see a burgeoning point of conflict if they are to take these supply depots as to what to do with them between Liang and Kamina, because um, Liang is going to want to keep them for himself being a pirate and the Golden Bow who are going to help her maybe assist her in getting these supply depots are going to want to do that too. And it's going to be people like Michio and hopefully Kamina. And I think it, I think it would be Kamina that would say, we need to give these resources to people that need them that might be in, in these situations and, and kind of give them back to the belt. It's going to be really interesting to see how maybe that, that plays out as the, uh, as the season goes forward, that, that point of conflict between the two. I wanted to point out what you brought up about the pastor, uh, I didn't mention the pastor here, but there's two instances in this episode where we get some callback characters from previous seasons that are really beloved in the show. Uh, the first one is Anna, which is the pastor that we see from season three. She seems to be part of Monica's propaganda piece that seems to be trying to empathize maybe belters with the plight of these earthers and stuff. And that's a great decision to have her do that. As Christian said, she has a knack for inspiring empathy. Um, so I thought that was great as well. Um, so yeah, we're back on the UN ship with Christian being debriefed. It seems like everything's going well at series, which means Nico was uh, maybe accurate in her in her descriptions of the situation there. And then we see that Monica is going to be embedding with some Martian relief efforts that are going to be going down on series to hopefully get a boots on the ground view of everything that's occurring down there. Um, so a really quick scene between them. And then we head back to the Pella where... Um, they have seen a drive plume. So they uh, encounter a drive plume that Philip sees on the radars. Uh, and once they identify it, they see that it's the Rasinante. So the Pella has identified the Rasinante. They seem to be heading towards Ceres, whereas Marco's heading away from it. So they obviously have crossed paths. And uh, there's a point of conflict between the crew on the Pella saying we should take this opportunity to take the Rossi out. But at the same time, the Rosenfeld is saying we don't have time for this. We need to prioritize the war over maybe your pride and maybe your um, your your kind of uh, wanting to to get revenge on the Rossi for the hunting that it's been doing these past six months since you started throwing these rocks at uh, Earth. And it seems like there's kind of an ideological conflict between both Rosenfeld and Philip and Marco. But the decision obviously rests with Marco and he decides to man the guns. And we head back to the Rocinante where they are Bobby and Amos again. A really great scene between the two where they're going over her Martian power armor. And they get a get some information from the other big character that um, that was a highlight from season two and three, I believe, which is Prax. Um, he he was the I think I wanted I don't know what what uh, role he served, but he was like the biologist. Uh, he was like a scientific person that was in 
season two and three. He seems to have uh, sent an encrypted message to Amos saying that they've kind of used some of the protomolecule structure or some information that they've gotten from the protomolecule to craft some kind of way for them to make an abundance of food in places where food isn't typically grown. So this would be obviously of huge help to Earth and the belt and seems to be some kind of scientific breakthrough that they've made that um, another scientist was killed for. And he's giving this to Amos saying, I know you have high contacts in high places and you can get this to somebody and they decide to give it to Christian. Uh, so what were your thoughts on those last three scenes? Uh, it shows the, uh, with both the Pella finding out about the Rasinante and uh, Christian seeing that Monica is embedding with the relief efforts on series. And then finally, Amos and Bobby kicking over that information to Christian and going over her power armor. So when it comes to the the Monica scene, um, the the main point of that was for them to like set up, hey, we're on series, things are good. Monica uh, being there, showing, hey, she's gonna be on the ground. We know she's got the camera, so we knew we were gonna get that that vision of what's happening. So uh, for that, I was like, okay, cool, political angle. She's gonna be like this ambassador, and she's gonna go down, and she's gonna get what's really happening, and that's gonna kind of lift spirits, especially if we're continuing to be. Uh, with the Anna situation, right? We're going to see how the UNN is helping these poor belters. So that was my first thought uh, about that scene. And I was like, I'll be curious to see how this plays out because knowing the expanse, something bad's going to happen. <laughs> and so then, uh, yeah. so then we, we go over to uh, the next scene and the, the overarching thought that I had was Marco just can't help himself. He, he, he has so much uh, plan. Uh, for for the belt and and the things that he wants to do, he was like, "Oh, cool! I understand how I'm gonna force the inners to ha have this supply problem. Uh, I'm I'm so good at having my plan." And then he sees the Rosinante and he thinks about James Holden and he thinks about Naomi and the thorn that they are in his side, and he just can't help himself. He has to do something. He it's it's really one of the few times that you see him. Uh, fall away from the master plan for something that he just personally wants. Mm -hmm. And despite there being this, this reluctance uh, from his crew, of course, they're going to follow him. And then he decides to give that honor to his son, that extension of we. So then if his son can be the one who takes out the Ross Sinante, it sheds light on him, right? When he shines, I shine sort of situation. And so uh, you see you see how excited he is. And this was also a really funny scene for me personally, because for whatever reason, I did not think about the fact that the Ross Sinante and the Pella were going to cross paths. Uh, it makes perfect sense. But uh, I, I, I was just caught on guard because I didn't expect this conflict uh to to happen right then the way that it did and so it leads into some really interesting stuff later on but overall i like the scenes and i like what they did for each of those characters yeah absolutely uh in the you know for the pella i thought what was really interesting was in the moment when he tells philip you're going to be on guns i it, i initially went oh bad move marco because i don't think he's going to maybe pull the trigger knowing his mom might be on the ship and that's why i thought the downfall was going to be was having philip man the guns um so it's, it's interesting kind of the way it goes which we'll talk to when we get to that scene but initially when i found out about that i just immediately thought oh that was a that wasn't a smart move to have marco put his his kind of son that's going through these issues and 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 dealing with these this identity crisis um and in responsible being responsible for kind of firing 
uh, the stuff on there. So I thought that was an interesting part. Uh, what did you think about the uh, the scene with Prax and, and uh, Amos and Bobby and Prax giving them that information about um, the kind of food and how they're going to be using that protomolecule scientific breakthrough to hopefully feed the belt and also help Earth in their their kind of re um, repopulation efforts or like getting getting more food stores and stuff on Earth. Yeah, so with with the uh, Amos, Bobby, and Prax scene, uh, one I was really excited to see Prax because I love that uh, Amos referred to him as his best friend uh, from their time together, uh, and and I think that the the idea of this super yeast uh, that can use like a little bit of of carbon dioxide to really. Th- it struck me as something that Mars really could have used when they were trying to terraform. Uh, and so the, the irony of them having this after the ring gates have been open for a while and Mars has become whatever it is now, uh, the fact that there are scientists that can be killed over this makes sense. This is a major breakthrough. It undermines what Marco has done because, hey, this is a response to Ceres. This is a response to Earth. This is a response to anyone who's really kind of struggling out there. And this this could be something that affects the entire system. And so it's major. Uh, and I like that Prax is like, hey, don't worry about me and and May will be fine. Uh, but but this is the most important thing and, and you need to do so. And so of course, uh, Amos sends it to Oliver Sorella because he they have that connection and he knows that if she sees that he sent it, she'll look at it. And so that's gonna be that's gonna be something that might again play into that whole uh Christian's view of everyone being humans, uh that we're that we can all be one people in a way, uh having that kind of golden answer uh to to that problem might be something that really boosts her and allows her to take advantage of those people that are on the sidelines that are listening to Monica's propaganda. Now we have an answer for you. Look what Marco has done for you versus look what we have done for you. So it's, it's got some really, really interesting and, and uh, season long implications just from that short little scene. Yeah. It also creates a, a kind of plot device that helps everyone. So um, it's, it can really be kind of a unifying force if it turns out to be the case that it's as effective as Praxis saying it is because um, the, and I like that the information kind of came to Amos and Bobby because it, it, you know, that's like you said, something that Mars could use and still can use, um, if, if, uh, if that turns out to be the case there. So I love that it's something that given the recent rocks being flung at earth, earth really needs that kind of food security, but food scarcity seems to be a problem. That's, that's a problem for all three of those, uh, of those like nations or whatever you want to call them. So I really think that, um, I really think that this could be kind of a unifying overarching thing that comes up where it really addresses problems for for all three of them. Initially I thought, oh, they're gonna have to get this information to someone physically, but he just he just swipes it up. Um, isn't it really nice to be able to just kind of like text the uh leader of the free world, you know, with whatever information <laughs> right. is happening? Just kind of just go, all right, I'm just gonna get this to the UN Secretary General, who he just calls Chrissy. So I think it's funny that they had that resource where Prax sends it to him and he just kind of forwards it like an email, you know, yeah. to uh, to the, the, you know, the leader of the the free uh, solar system at that point. Uh, they kind of riff about about her armor and stuff and he gets the scene from Prax. It was really great to see Prax after him being such an integral part in season two and season three. I also did read that 
um, you know, because they had to shorten the season because of budgetary constraints, uh, they had to obviously had to cut some storylines that would have been present in the season. And Prax and Anna were both characters that were going to have an expanded role had the season been maybe fully funded and had they had more episodes. So it's great to see them kind of touching on those characters and still having them be prominent or integral parts of the show here uh, in their own way. So I really great. I, I thought that was awesome. And I love the two performers that play those characters as well. I think they're, they're great actors and, and, uh, and stuff there. Um, it goes from that scene. We go back to Jim and Naomi. He's uh, in his quarters and Naomi has kind of cracked something about the ring gates and states that it seems that there's a pattern to these ship disappearances. It seems like once uh, and, and uh, maybe you can elaborate on on kind of what she was talking about it, but it seems like once one disappears, it immediately opens in another area and another ship disappears. So it seems to be this hole that seems to be bouncing. It seems to be like maybe one portal or one uh, hole that seems to be bouncing between ring gates um, indiscriminately. Uh, and she says she's really not an expert. She can't say anything definitive about it. And then they're interrupted by, um, it seems like Clarissa has, you know, she was, she was tasked with watching the Rocinante and it seems like on her first watch, she got some bad luck, which was that Marco Inaros, the, uh, the biggest terrorist in the, in the system is barreling towards them, uh, him and his other two ships. So she sees that on the radar and notifies Holden and he says, um, and then we cut from that scene there. Um, and then we go to back on series the un relief efforts seem to be in full swing we've got some martian people that are handing out supplies and monica is documenting the entire thing um we see kind of a, a great interaction where the martian um un relief uh, guard is speaking to them in belter so i thought that was a really nice touch that they seem to be kind of extending that olive branch to the belters and, and trying to communicate them with them on their level um, and then also, again, going back to the whole, like, every every group of people seems to have different factions. There's the other Martian guard that's next to him says, we were supposed to kill these people. And and, uh, and Monica kind of calls him out for being so rash, even while they're documenting that on, uh, on camera. And she sees a kind of belter isolated, goes and kind of talks to him, um, trying to maybe get some, get a story out of him for her humanitarian project. And then we get these giant explosions. Series just gets set off. It seems like maybe it was rigged or armed, and everything has been uh, everything is exploding. Um, I remember this scene really surprising me. But uh, what were your thoughts on the scene? From let me see that that the past scene about the Rasenante and about the ring gates, and maybe what were your um, your thoughts on what they were referring to? If that seems like a, an accurate description as to what she was referring to there. And then the Pella bearing down on them, and then also that UN relief um, effort scene, and then the explosion that ensued. Yeah, for sure. So also, if you hear if you hear a little voice, my niece just joined me. Okay, so that might be. All right, um, I liked the uh, the scene between Jim and Naomi, uh, where she was identifying these these disappearances and clusters, because it implies control that that this warping mechanism has some sort of either predictability to it or it's being worked on. And and you could tell that she was kind of thinking that, but there's no definitive evidence because she the sample size is too small, um, and so that implies that there is something going on where people are disappearing. Uh, these ships are disappearing uh, at a consistent rate. Uh, and that there's purpose for it. So I'm curious to see uh, if they're going to crack that whole code uh, and and how that's going to play out. I think uh, and how that's going to play out. Uh, and 
I think it'll be interesting to see how they get more data uh, and and how that data is going to come through to them, especially considering it's kind of secondary to what they're experiencing with the whole Marco scenario, not just in this initial, this uh, fight that's going to take place, but just with his presence in this in the system. So I'm I'm definitely curious to see where this information is going to go and what what's where it's going to lead them for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, when Clarissa uh, is like, "Oh shoot, we got something going down," uh, I was like, "Okay, here it is. Here's the fight." Mm-hmm. And and you could tell Jim was ready to go. He he knew exactly what it was. But then that series scene, um, you know, again, this is a scene where I feel like I should have seen the end of that scene coming because uh, it makes sense. I should have seen it, didn't see it coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you you have the whole, okay, cool, we're occupying series and I'm trying to speak to you. And you can tell that there are people, again, like you said, with the differing uh, viewpoints on how they're interacting with these people. Um, but to me, that the the scene the part of the scene that was the most effective was when monica does go to that belter with the cat and is trying to speak to him on his level because even though she and avasarala may differ they both kind of have that same thing that michio has right like like there there's a humanity there there's that fact that we are shared humans in this system that should be enough um and so i really actually like that and then the explosion happens and I was like, oh man, oh man. <laughs> and that's that's when I was trying to figure out now what are they going, how are they gonna play this? Are they going, are the belters who see this happen, are they going to blame Marco for it? Are they gonna say, hey, this happened after the U, uh, the UN people came? Uh, what's gonna be the way that this is spun? Because there, there is the concept of, oh shoot, these explosions happened as soon as they came here, so it's got to be their fault. We hate them more. Uh, or is it going to be those that we're starting to call Marcos out for being a coward? Are they going to be the ones who are going to say, hey, he was obviously behind this because it bombed both uh, UN people and Belters, and he doesn't really care about the belt, and why are we believing in this guy? Uh, he killed Anderson Dawes. And so I- I'm trying to figure out if like there's going to be critical thinking people who are going to see this almost laundry list of offenses that Marcos has done, uh, that Marco has done on uh, over the belt. So I'm, I'm excited for that. So we cut from that scene to the climax of the show, which is this big showdown between the Rocinante and the Pella. We finally get this big ship showdown between the two, Holden and the crew versus uh, Philip and Marco and the Pella. Um, uh, Philip, as we said in the previous scene, is manning the guns there, and there's a really tense uh, battle between them where they fire all their missiles. The railgun saves them and takes a lot of them out, um, and they're kind of at that point they just start trying to dodge everything, and uh, they're dodging around. And then Bobby, in this alpha move, comes up to the top. She takes the gunner controls, and he says, "You know, they're dodging all my shots." And she just she goes, "Just give me the shot." She finds out that it seems like every time they're dodging, they're dodging to the port side. So they use all their missiles as a diversion. Um, they shoot the railgun and take out the Pella as it as it dodges into the railgun's fire line, um, which I thought was a really cool scene, really great action scene between the two. I love the little interaction between Amos and Clarissa where uh, they they lose some. Um, I think he said PCDs. I'm not exactly sure what that stands for, but they, they kind of lose that in the firefight and he has to go fix them. And she says, yeah, but we're in the middle of a battle. And he said, that's the job peaches. I thought that was a great line um, for, for him. And yeah, I thought this was a really intense action scene. Uh, it had a really satisfying payoff. Uh, 
And then it leads into the the crux of the episode where um, Bobby is manning the weapons and uh, as the Pella is all but destroyed and kind of just sitting there for the taking, um, he tries to get Marco to surrender so that they can take him in. I thought it was a great line that he said about Marco being better as a prisoner than a martyr. Because uh, you know, revolutionary leaders like that, their their message seems to get amplified if they die in the in, in battle like that. Um, and then when Mar- Marco declines, Bobby fires the missile. We get a, a tap on the wrist from Holden right before the missile hits that disarms it, and it just hits off like a dud. Um, and then Marco uh, gets away. What were your thoughts on this scene from start to finish? The action scene with the the Pella and the Rossi going at it. Some of the character interactions between Amos and Holden and Bobby kind of coming up and really coming in clutch for the Rossinante uh, as far as her her kind of war expertise. And then the decision from Holden to disarm the bomb, um, saving uh, both the Pella and Naomi's son in the process. So this was a fantastic, fantastic action sequence. Uh, it, it showed me uh, how much I enjoy space battle in the expanse again. Um, and for it to be this one-on-one dogfight, I loved seeing the way that uh, the ships would flip around and fire uh, to, to be strategic about it, especially when it came to the fact that it was a three-on-one and it should have been really easy for them. But you can be outmaneuvered and uh, outgunned, uh, or you can be outmaneuvered even if you're outgunned uh, based on someone's war expertise. Uh, and so for them to basically disable it to the point where it was just the Pella versus the Rosinante, uh, that was really exciting. But then you were like, the Pella can outfire them. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's a matter of time and so for for philip uh to be the one to like try and make you know these shots and they're just barely missing or, or they're hitting and and it's glancing off and it's like amos and clarissa are the ones having to fix it and she's like you you, you want to fix it while we're in battle he's like that's the job yeah. you know that's that's what we do and and the craziest thing though was i was like i don't again i don't know how they're going to get out of this and then bobby comes up and Bobby is like, all right, we're going to do this, do it again. And she noticed that they dodged to the left. Mm-hmm. And so she's like, even though they're not within our range, we're going to use the PDC, uh, which is their point defense cannon. Um, and we're going to, we can do this, uh, but it's going to take a sec. And you're going to have to trust me on it. And we're going to fire anyway. And so again, all of that, like, character building relationship building stuff that they had been doing earlier in the episode and in the previous episodes makes it so that when Holden trusts Bobby, it's like, okay, cool. We can make the shot. But when he opens up and he's talking to Marco and Marco is like, I'll die before uh, I live at the end of your leash. Mm -hmm. And you get that little perspective of Philip come to the side and you know, Naomi's watching and Jim knows Naomi's watching. And he's like, in his head, he's, he's thinking that he can't kill her son. And so that's, that's when that whole like martyr uh, sort of situation kind of comes up as well. But you realize that's, yes, that is part of the reason why he did it. Cause if he immortalizes Marco dying in the fight, you know, there's going to be people who carry on that spirit and fight the good fight, but it's, it's because of Philip and because of what he means to Naomi, just, Fight everything, despite the fact that he fired off, which I was surprised by. I, I didn't think he was going to do it, especially after his kind of uh, conversation with his dad earlier. So I was I was impressed by that, and uh, I, I just love that whole scene. And then for Marco to realize that he was in trouble, 
and and that he needed to retreat against the Rastamante, even though he should have been able to beat them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it was a moment where it felt like Marco uh, actually took took a loss. Yeah, we go from there to back to the Pella. Uh, they're kind of licking their wounds after their loss to the Rastamante um, in in combat, and yeah, you start to see Marco unraveling, and um, his his leadership starts to come into question. Uh, you see, you see both judgmental looks from Rosenfeld, and then also Philip kind of vocalizes that it was his pride. And uh, going back to the actual battle, it really was his pride that lost them because when the one ship got hit, the other ship said they were going to peel off for aid for the other ship, and he kind of hubristically said, "We don't really need them," you know. And obviously, they did. You know, they obviously did need them in that moment. And uh, you wonder if the uh, battle would have gone differently if he would have said, leave them for now. We'll do, let's do the fight. We can always give aid after. But he he kind of in this moment of pride just says, we don't need them. We'll take them on on ourselves. We we have more missiles than they do. So it really was his pride that lost them the fight. And Philip kind of points that out in front of the entire crew. Marco kind of explodes on him and tells him he's relieved of his duty. And there seems to be a, a, a huge, a huge... um rift between marco and mini marco <laughs> so uh there seems to be a really huge rift between who he who he he thought of his clone uh going into this and they're also setting up from earlier in the episode as well they're also setting up that rosenfeld and he seem to be there seems to be maybe a growing rift between the two where he seems more interested in as you said his pride and uh his his um his reputation and rosenfeld is wanting him to focus on war uh, because he's so gifted at strategy that coming in with this really uh, half-cocked uh, uh, plan to take out the Rosinante is doesn't really look good in her eyes at all. And I think that's going to make itself known as the season goes on. Um, and then it goes into the final scene, which is uh, he gets a, a tight beam from somebody, I believe, on Medina Station. And the person on Medina Station says that they're delivering... An RSRG-6, it looks like this very crazy missile-looking, almost nuke-looking thing that's coming through the ring gates um, from Laconia. And he says, if this performs as well as the others, it will be fun. Uh, What were your thoughts on this last scene with the rift between Marco and his son and Rosenfeld? And then getting that crazy scene at the end where it looks like some kind of some kind of structure is coming through the ring gates that has something to do with the proto-molecule, judging from something where he says it's coming from Medina Station. And uh, it's coming through the ring gates and, and they're saying that obviously this seems to be a game changer for Marco, judging by his reaction. So the, the, the summation of that scene to me is Marco uh, screaming at his son that he's relieved of duty and then going into him leaving and then going and just breathing for a second. Marco, Marco knows that he messed up. He knows it. He'll never admit it out loud but he is someone who has to blame other people because he is the mastermind and he is he is the revolutionary and he's the one that everyone has believed in so there's no way he's going to actively admit that he's wrong even when he is and so when his son stands up to him despite his son having impressed him by at least trying to fire the missile right um the the whole deal is i'm going to shame you because of what i feel and and to to see that interaction especially considering rosenfeld is was against the plan in general it marco is seeing that everyone has recognized what he's done and so mm-hmm. he, can't, he can't stand down though 
because if he stands down, he allows people to undermine him in public. And if he is undermined by whether it's his son or a second in command, uh, that's going to weaken people's resolve uh, to, to follow him. And he can't allow that. And so he has to double down on his choice and he has to double down on uh, the concept of people rising up against him is going to result in them being dismissed. And, and basically it's, it's a power play by him. So I, I, I liked it. Um, it continues his same trends that he's been doing. But when we see the RSRG6 uh, at the ring gate, uh, that, that implies that he's, he's still interacting with those people, uh, that, that the giant assault that he had at the end of season five coming from the other side of the gates, uh, that he hasn't given up on that. And so Marco doesn't strike me as the kind of person who plays every card in his hand uh, immediately. He keeps him close to the chest, but this definitely seems like one where uh, he is excited that it happened at this point in, in the war, uh, especially with how people have been kind of vocalizing their, their uh, grievances against him. Do you think that that weapon at the end has something to do with the protomolecule? They said it was coming from Laconia, right? So that's why I was assuming it has something to do with the protomolecule. Anything with Laconia, I'm associating with the protomolecule in general right now, right, just based right. how we saw it, right? Um, and so I, I'm trying to figure out if this is something that is uh, a supply that has to do with the protomolecule, or if this is something that they want to reach Laconia so that the protomolecule can come back. Because the whole concept of Laconia and James uh, Holden was talking about this earlier was, hey, there is that missing uh, protomolecule from Fred, right? Uh, Fred mm -hmm. Johnson. So all of that, anything that has to do with like the ring gates and, and these weapons and the disappearances and whatnot, um, yeah. I'm assuming it has to do with the protomolecule. But we had always talked about they're going to resolve the Marco storyline and then go to the protomolecule storyline. And this seems to be a subtle merging of the two, if that's the case, where it seems like maybe the Marco storyline is linked with the protomolecule storyline in some fashion there, which is really interesting. Um, and it'll be really great to get um, to kind of see how that develops here. But uh, that was the episode, guys. It cuts out after that. Um, we're going to jump into maybe some predictions and hot takes and questions that we may have had on the on the episode there. Um, I did want to ask you two questions before we get into maybe any any hot takes or where you think the show is going to go, which is uh, who do you think is who do you think was responsible for killing that scientist that Prax had to get the information to? So there's some kind of maybe political machination about not wanting that information to get out there or not wanting that information to be uh to to be widely known about that yeast uh what do you who do you think may be responsible for that um see I'm, I'm torn because part of me is like it would make sense for marco to have uh spies throughout the system right that that would be really interesting to me um if if this was a more expanded storyline um or or season rather uh I, I would assume we would see more cracks and i i could see a situation where uh a marco uh insurgent has hidden themselves against or amongst the scientists and as they've kind of gone farther and farther maybe they're feeding him information and then ends up killing the person to try mm -hmm. and steal information and prax is able to get that and transmit that and in that scenario prax would die so like that's that's kind of where my mind would go if we had more episodes in the season um that there's probably a spy but when when i think about it i'm like well who who benefits from killing this scientist right uh earth doesn't benefit by killing it because this whole deal would help earth um the belt in general wouldn't uh wouldn't benefit from killing them because 
oh shoot, we can provide for our people. We're in a restricted uh, scenario. So the only other faction that <laughs> that is left in my head is is Laconia, but Laconia is is, is detached from from the. They're kind of doing mm-hmm. their own. Um, so I actually have no idea because I can't figure out a motive besides if there was a spy. Yeah, I think I think a case could be made that Earth does benefit if that person's dead. And the reason being is that even with their capacity and all the stuff that's happened on Earth, um, their ability to, uh, to 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 grow food or have uh, food available for in, the, in that system is there really one or is one of their major advantages over the belt and Mars is their ability. Like they have that biosphere that they can kind of rely on and and have that food. So um, even with their, their issues that they're going through relating to that biosphere to give up that advantage that they may have between the other two um, may have, may have caused them to, to maybe kill that scientist and not want that information out. So they may have the information that maybe they could use for earth, but they may not want that out for Mars in the belt because they want to hold that power over them where they're having to ship them food resources. And it's a huge trade export for earth. So it's going to be really interesting to see the motive behind killing that scientist there. Um, do you have any other predictions after seeing this episode as, as to how you think the series is going to go, or maybe what you expect from the next few episodes, um, given the information that we got in this, in this one? I'm trying to figure out what what happens to Marco at the end of the season. It I I can't see a scenario. Well, let me take that back. I can see a scenario where he is captured alive and he is imprisoned for the rest of his life. So then he can be uh, an example of the inners not having to kill Belters in order to make a point. Um, so I could see that. But I'm also more figuring that he might die. And if that's the case, how would he die? Uh, do I see it being Holden? Not unless it's self-defense and it would be a one-on-one sort of situation. Do I see it being Naomi? No, because I don't think, even though she hates what Marco has done, even though he's tortured her before, I don't see her being the one to pull the trigger. Uh, I could see Philip doing it in, in an act where he finally mans up and tries to protect his mom. But I also think it could be really interesting if Marco died via protomolecule. Um, and, and you know, especially because we're starting to see some interaction with him in Laconia. So where my mind is going uh, for pretty much all my predictions is what's going to happen to Marco and how is he going to end the season? That is the most anticipated part of the season for me. Yeah, well, one of your big predictions that you made in the first episode that we did um, regarding Marco was that potentially Philip kills Marco. Um, and I still think that could possibly be the case here, too. I think having gone through this, um, especially with the rift that's now growing between the two, there's uh, there's kind of a motive for Philip to maybe make that decision later on. And it might be a really kind of tragic end. Um, I think Marco could kill Philip, too. And I think that uh, that, you know, and I think that's something you alluded to in, the, in, in episode one that we did, too, was that that could be the case. But. Um, I think if we do get Marco, it's going to be at the cost of Philip. I think I talked about in the episode one that I think Philip making it out of this season alive after the things that he's done, even if he's being uh, a, he's only he's only kind of been a surrogate party to his father, uh, is very unrealistic to me. I think that they're going to have to have him uh, make a redemptive move and potentially sacrifice himself to uh, to save. You, you know to stop this um anaros threat and i think 
I thought maybe that redemptive moment would come in this episode, and it didn't. Um, he definitely shot every time his father told him to. He didn't really care uh, kind of who was at the end of that that uh, that missile that he was sending off. So um, he indiscriminately did it in this one, but you're starting to see a rift where he's he's losing faith in his father's leadership. And maybe the crew is too. And I could see a case where he does something to destroy the Inaros um, kind of kind of terrorist regime or, or whatever you want to call it. And Marco kills him for it. As far as the next episode, um, I think we're going to get more information about that structure that left the ring gate and get some information about that. We're obviously going to get uh, an intro on Laconia and see what happened with those dogs and the little kid. If the dog maybe is going to heal the little kid like you alluded to earlier. Uh, that seems to be the implication after those two scenes being back to back is that she's going to think that maybe that dog can fix her brother like he fixed that other stuff. Um, so that might be um, a move there. And then I think we're going to get more drummer in the next episode. I think drummer and Liang's mission um, for the supply caches is going to kind of come to fruition in the next episode there. So um, that's going to wrap it up for us guys here for, for the expanse uh, episode three. Uh, it's so crazy, but we're halfway through the season already. Um, it seems like it's going by extremely quickly. And obviously with only being six episodes, we're already halfway through. So we're in, our, our back half of the of the season so far. It's been great so far, and I'm really interested to see how everything ends. But if you guys are watching uh, on YouTube, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe on the video here. If you're listening on the podcast platforms, uh, make sure to rate us five stars if you're on Apple Podcasts. And if you're on uh, any of the other podcast platforms, just share it with any other Screaming Firehawks that you know. Um, and, and kick it around to some people that may be watching The Expanse and, and may get something out of this. That would be very much appreciated. I did a review for The Power of the Dog that you guys can read. I'm also working on a review for The Tragedy of Macbeth. I also just wrapped up my Discuss Hawkeye series. So if you guys are watching that MCU show, you guys can watch all of our episodes from one through six for that one, um, where me and Jace kind of break down the Hawkeye uh, episode there. Um, do you have anything that you want to promo, Danny? Anything that's going on that you want to tell the people about at all? Uh, not right now. Just check out uh, just me and discuss. Uh, it's been super fun doing all this so far, uh, and the conversations are great. And I think you guys will benefit from listening to it. So definitely give that give that a shout out. All right, fantastic. Well, Danny, I hope you're having a fantastic Christmas. If any of you guys are listening to this on Christmas Eve, have a great uh, great time. I hope you're spending it with family and loved ones, however you celebrate. Uh, and as always, guys, discuss amongst yourselves, and we will see you next week.